Hello, and welcome to Hospitals in Focus. I'm your host, Chip Kahn. Today, we're speaking with Alan Morgan, CEO of the National Rural Health Association. NRHA is one of the most important organizations addressing health policy issues facing the 60 million Americans who call rural America home. Thanks for joining us today, Alan, for this special episode celebrating National Rural Hospital Week. To get started, uh, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and the NRHA? Absolutely. Chip, appreciate the opportunity to join you for this conversation today. Um, I'm originally from a small town in northeast Kansas and had the opportunity to work for the governor of Kansas and work on Capitol Hill. Uh, Lobbied for health organizations and health entities for about 10 years, but for the past 20 years, I've worked for the National Rural Health Association. I have to tell you, it feels like I'm at home when I'm working with the organization. Uh, There's more than 24,000 members uh, within the National Rural Health Association, and it represents the gambit of healthcare professionals. We have CEOs of rural hospitals, system administrators, we have rural clinicians, rural researchers. If you work in rural America or you care about rural America, there's a home for you in the National Rural Health Association. And if it benefits rural, we support it. So it's a pretty easy uh, path forward for us. That's great. Uh, Let's get into some questions to start our conversation this afternoon. 60 million Americans live in rural America. That's about one in five Americans. What are the unique challenges rural Americans face in meeting their healthcare needs? Well, rural America to begin with is not a small version of urban. It's really a unique healthcare delivery environment. It's a place where those most in need of healthcare services oftentimes have the fewest options available. And by that, I mean um, currently we're seeing a decline of life expectancy among rural populations. It's not unusual to find a rural community where life expectancy is 20 years less than a suburban, suburban counterpart. And at a time where we have these great health disparities, Chip, we're also in the middle of a rural hospital closure crisis. Since 2010, 119 rural hospitals have closed their doors, which is a lot. But what's more troubling is the projection going ahead. By estimates, anywhere from 400 to 700 rural hospitals are at risk for closure over the next decade. And you just, it, it, it struggles the imagination to figure out what rural health care will look like if we are faced with such an enormous decrease in access to emergency room care. Beyond just the health care, uh, what are the economic implications for rural communities of potentially losing the hospital? It's appropriate to refer to rural hospitals as anchor institutions within these communities. You're talking for most of the smaller rural hospitals, a $6 million a year budget for salaries, and you're talking 150 employees. And that's the direct impact, Chip. But you take it back uh, to an indirect impact on um, uh, food service within the town, uh, construction within the town, the, uh, even the florist shop. That's an indirect impact that these hospitals have and the closures have on the community. What's more difficult but more important, though, I think, is um, the downstream effect, Chip. When you have a rural hospital close, you have young families that are not going to be moving into your town, and you have seniors that are going to be moving out of your town. It just simply isn't safe to live in a community where you're not within 30 minutes of emergency room services. 
Alan, despite some of these issues, uh, some of the most creative innovations in healthcare are happening today in rural America, whether it be the use of telehealth or digital solutions. Uh, can you speak to these innovations and what are the most beneficial changes you are seeing in rural America today? Oh, thanks, Chip, for bringing this up. You know, here in Washington, D.C., we tend to focus on everything that's wrong with rural America. And it's important to note that innovation begins in rural America. I have a hard time imagining any major health system innovation that's happened over the last 30 years that doesn't have its roots in a rural community. I mean, just for example, patient navigators began in Hazard, Kentucky, and now most health systems or hospitals employ patient navigators. Dental health aids, that's, as you're well aware, uh, uh, tried and tested in rural Alaska, and now that's spread without the lower 48. Community health workers, again, here's a concept that was first codified by the National Rural Health Association in the early 80s, uh, a rural innovation that now is spread throughout our healthcare system. And what you led with, you can't talk about innovation without talking about telehealth. Rural America has driven the innovation that we see in telehealth, with the exception of NASA, of course. But let's be honest, Chip, what's more rural than space? It's not just uh, the innovation. It's also, from what I understand, the partnerships. When it comes to rural health care, can you describe how people get together in rural communities and, and really, frankly, do more with less? Yeah, absolutely. I go back now to our opening of this discussion when I talked about how painfully diverse our membership is. Back in the late 70s, the founders of our organization recognized that healthcare expands with beyond the hospital walls. And you know this, Chip, now the move from uh, volume to value, there is a realization that healthcare needs partnerships outside of the hospital. And that's what we focus in on at our organization. I do want to highlight one particular hospital, Hancock County Hospital in rural Tennessee in the western part. Um, it's recognized as one of the CAH's critical access hospitals to know by Becker's. And I was there a couple months ago. And they bring this concept of partnership to a whole new level where they're engaging school health clinic, a local faith-based group, um, the town elected officials, all to finally implement what we've all been talking about and truly implementing population health. Chip, I think this is a good example of what can be, and I think this is a good example of the, the importance of the partnership between the Federation and the National Rural Health Association in supporting um, Senate Bill 2648, the Rural ACO Improvement Act. Chip, we've got to find a way to foster this move from volume to value and make sure, most importantly, the payment tracks with it as well, right? Um, lots of times in rural communities, they do what's right for the community, but the payment isn't there yet. We need to support their efforts and make sure that they have the proper um, financial environment to move ahead. We're with you on that legislation, Alan, and, and, and really hope we can, can push it through over time. Uh, let's talk about another aspect of, of the challenges, though. As, as you mentioned earlier, uh, Alan, rural America is proportionally older than ur urban America. Uh, those people living in rural communities and their health care providers depend more heavily on the Medicare program. What do we need to do to shore up Medicare to be able to meet the promise for those seniors in those communities, the promise of access to care. 
in a rural context, it is not unusual to see the inpatient volume for a rural hospital be as high as 70% Medicare, Medicaid. And when you've got that type of environment, you have to have a good relationship and partnership with the federal government and the state government across the board. Now, we've seen the critical access hospital program is, has succeeded for the smaller rural hospitals. Now, I think we need to focus in on where the real danger is, and that is dish payment hospitals, uh, low-volume hospitals, and Medicare-dependent hospitals. All the current data from Medicare and MedPAC show that this is unfortunately that area of where rural hospitals are at most risk for closure. Chip, we've been working on this a long time, and we've got to make sure that Congress and the administration uh, fully understand that these are targeted payments, necessary targeted payments to maintain access going ahead. So we really need to focus on that while determining how we best redesign the system for the future. Thank you, Alan. We really do need to sustain uh, the low-volume hospital and Medicare-dependent hospital programs. And frankly, Congress needs to act uh, to give uh, rural hospitals access to Medicare disproportionate share payments, those important payments that they don't get now. So, Alan, let's uh, drill down a bit on on one topic that we, we've touched on, and that's telehealth. Can you tell us specifically uh, the areas that you think are going to be most productive for rural patients uh, with the expansion and development of meaningful telehealth? And what are the obstacles to that, that expansion taking place? The obstacles include reimbursement, licensure, and broadband. And let's be honest, the, the access to high-quality, high-speed broadband, um, you just can't move forward without that. That's a necessity. And fortunately, that's a necessity that's recognized by the White House, Senate and Republican leaders, and Democrats in the House as well. Um, it is a bipartisan understanding that we can't move forward without broadband access. But I got to tell you, when I go out and visit rural hospitals, very rarely do I see a, a rural hospital that is not already engaged in telehealth in some form or fashion. Um, almost all of them are, are utilizing teleradiology. Um, teleconsultation is fairly commonplace now. Um, it allows those rural clinicians not to feel alone out there and to be able to have a peer there with their room. Um, obviously, telepharmacy is expanding very rapidly and has tremendous promise. But I think the one that everyone's talking about is uh, telebehavioral health. And currently with the opioid crisis that we're experiencing, the ability to bring in specialists that you simply are never going to have moved to Flush, Kansas, be there in Flush, Kansas, <laughs> to be able to provide that necessary uh, consultation and clinical expertise. Uh, telehealth has the, has the option to transform how we deliver healthcare in a rural context. It's a tool. It's not a provider, but it's a tool, but it's a useful tool that we have to put as a primary focus as we move ahead. That's really encouraging, Alan. Let me hit on one area, though, that you just brought up. Uh, in terms of the op opioid crisis, which is particularly compelling in many parts of the country and many rural areas of the country, um, do you think we're turning the corner on the, that crisis now with the uh, resources we brought to bear? I certainly hope so. I think I, it's my expectation over the next year, we're going to begin to see the results of the significant financial 
um, investment that both federal and state governments have put into this issue in a rural context because um, simply stated, the solutions for dealing with this in an urban area can't be replicated in a rural context. You're never going to have the providers. You can't set aside a separate emergency room uh, wing just to deal with this. It's going to take um, collaboration, coordination, and telehealth going ahead. Now, I have to be upfront with this. Uh, my members constantly um, share this with me. I do think that we have made significant headway on the opioid crisis. However, in many rural communities, now that crisis is shift to other substance abuse avenues, uh, whether it be meth or any other type. And so I want to make sure that as they're creating these new models of care, that they're really focused in on substance abuse treatment and recovery and not exclusively on um, opioid crisis and the prescription problems that come as a result of that. Alan, in many rural communities that HHS designates as underserved areas, newly graduated nurses can qualify for grants or educational loan repayment when they go to work at nonprofit hospitals. Unfortunately, the nurses we hire at for-profit rural hospitals don't qualify. Is there something that we can do to assure our patients the same access to the caregivers they need? Right. I, I completely agree with you on this. The National Rural Health Association has had consistent policy over the last 20 years that it makes no sense at all to, to prohibit access to grants or loans based on ownership status. If you're the only provider in a rural community, you are that community's safety net provider. It makes no sense for the federal government to be establishing barriers to increasing access. Looking ahead, Chip, I'd really like to see this as one of the policy areas that the Federation and the National Rural Health Association joins forces on in a more um, substantial way to make sure we have this fixed. We've got to find a way to remove barriers to access to care. That, that has to be the guiding force going ahead. It is so important uh, to accomplish this, Alan, and we look forward to working with you to make sure that we have sufficient nurses, and in doing that, we've got to provide incentives for those nurses to come to our hospitals. Absolutely. Alan, uh, what opportunities are there uh, for stakeholders in rural America to come together and address uh, these issues we've been raising and find the solutions uh, for their communities? Well, as we're closing out this legislative calendar year, we're already looking towards the next year here at NRHA. It's a great opportunity to, for me at this point to mention that we're having our 31st annual Rural Health Policy Institute in Washington, D.C., February 11th through 13th. Now, this is a great opportunity to, for us to bring our advocates to D.C. and link them up with the top administration officials from the White House, HHS, CDC, and Capitol Hill leaders as well, too. This is a great event to be able to see exactly what your elected officials intend to do to help support rural America. And as you know, next year is an election year. And if there's one thing that's more popular among politicians than a bake sale in a small town, it's the National Rural Health Association's Policy Institute. I can guarantee you we'll have some big names there for it. Thanks for telling us about that, Alan. And where can people go to learn more about the National Rural Health Association? Well, that's the easy question you've asked so far. Go online, any 
search engine Google, Yahoo, Bing, type in the words rural health. The National Rural Health Association is always the first thing that pops up. Usually it's the first three things that pops up. On our website, you can uh, learn more about policy, legislation, educational opportunities, and grant opportunities. We are the voice for rural health. And Chip, I cannot thank you and the Federation enough. For the past 20 years, your organization has been a strong supporter of us in rural. We've partnered together on multiple health activities over, over that time. And uh, we've been successful with the partnership that we've had with the Federation. Alan, thank you so much for joining us today uh, during this National Rural Hospital Week. Thank you, Chip. Join us next time as we speak with experienced leaders on new ideas about healthcare delivery and financing. Please listen, rate, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And if you haven't already, you can follow the Federation on social media at FAH Hospitals and me at Chip Kahn. This was Hospitals in Focus. I'm Chip Kahn. Thanks again for listening.